Hey, let's thank the Lord for an opportunity to be here in His house. All right, everybody get your Bible out, and uh, let's open it up to uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we are in our series uh, called Enter. We've been looking at worship and what is biblical worship, and we've covered a lot of ground. We talked a little bit about uh, why we worship and how we worship, uh, and when should we worship. Today, we're talking about who, uh, who uh, is able to worship God. And uh, so we're going to be landing uh, today, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be spending some time this morning. Uh, I re- when, I, when our girls were little, my job was to handle the, the bedtime ritual, all right? There's, there's always a bedtime ritual, uh, kind of a long protracted thing actually. It starts off with uh, kind of saying it's time for bed and then you got to do the bath thing and then you got to get PJs on and then there are several trips of drinks of water and then there are uh, several trips into the bathroom and back, and, and then you finally get in the bed, and you get the tuck in, and then there's the story and the conversation, and then finally the lights go off, and, 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 and you lay there still with them, and you hope that they fall asleep before you fall asleep, uh, even though sometimes it's the other way around. But that's, that's basically it, every night, the, the bedtime ritual. That was my job. And I can remember one, one night I was putting one of my girls to bed, and, and we were laying in bed, and we'd gone through that whole deal, and, and it was quiet, and it was still, and I thought maybe she was asleep. And then she said, uh, in her real little voice, she said, Daddy, are you looking at me right now? And I happened to be laying on my side, kind of facing toward her, and I said, uh, yes, baby, I'm, my face is, is toward you. And then I felt her little hand reach over and grab my lip and my nose and my head. And I had hair back then. And, uh, and then she said, okay, Daddy, good night. Good night, baby. And, and I've never forgotten that sweet little moment because I think that really portrays how we feel about God. That there's something in all of us that really longs to know that his face is toward us. That we, we want to know that he's looking at us, that he cares for us, that he listens to us. I mean, after all, why are there so many religions in the world? Why, why do you go to the remotest parts of the world and you find people worshiping God? Why, why is that? Because there's something inside of us, something in our wiring, in our DNA, in our makeup that desires to know God, that desires to be close to God, that desires for God to be near to us. And we want that and we need that. And when we don't have that, we feel the distance from God. Now listen, you may be here today and you feel distant from God. Maybe this is your first time here and you go, man, I just decided to come to a church today because I don't know what to do in my life. Then you're in the right spot because we're going to talk about how you get close to God today. And maybe, maybe you're here and you just feel like, man, things are dark. And I don't even know if my father's face is toward me because I can't even see. And, and God, do you care that these things are happening in my life? Do you care? Do you even know the chaos that's around me right now? Listen, uh, does God see me? Is his face toward me? Maybe you're, maybe you're a Christian, but you just feel really distant from God. And you go through, you've gone through these cycles where you just feel far from God, like my prayer doesn't get past the ceiling, and, and, and I don't have a desire for God's word anymore, and I'm struggling spiritually. If that's you, then we're going to talk today about that. How do you get close to God? And how can we draw close to him in a deeper way? 
Here's the good news. God has provided a way for you to be close to him. And he wants you to be close to him. And we're going to find out how uh, today. So let's look at it. Let's just dive right into it. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, this is the word of God. We're picking up at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, uh, since we have confidence to enter the holy place uh, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now, let's just stop right there for just a minute. The book of Hebrews, we're not really sure who wrote this book, all right? We re really don't know. And some people think maybe the Apostle Paul, some think maybe uh, Barnabas, some people say maybe uh, Apollos. There are many different people that, that possibly could have written this book, but we do know who it is written to. It was written to Jewish believers, people that had grown up in the Jewish faith, that had finally uh, uh, embraced Christ as their Messiah and have, have come to faith in Christ. That's who is this book is written uh, to. And really all through the book of Hebrews, it's showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. How Jesus is greater than anything they've ever experienced. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the greatest message God has ever spoken. In Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus is greater than the angels. In Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is greater than Moses. In Hebrews chapter uh, uh, 5, that Jesus has a greater rest than, than anyone could ever give. In Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus is a great mediator of a new covenant uh, with God. In Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus is the ultimate and greater sacrifice. So all the way through, if you could just write a theme over the first 10 chapters of the book of, of, of Hebrews, it is Jesus is greater. Basically what he's saying is that everything that you knew and, and have known growing up as a, in the Jewish faith, every prophecy, every prophet, every message, every worship ritual, every sacrifice, all of it is pointing to Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all foreshadowing. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, all these things are vague shadows where Christ is the ultimate reality. All right? So everything is pointing to Christ. Everything is leading up to Christ. So he's, he's affirming these Jewish believers. You're not really turning your back on Judaism. You're just fulfilling it by embracing the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, now he's saying this, and then he's saying, well, why did, why did Jesus come then? If, if it's all about Christ, pointing to Christ, then why did he come? And the simple answer to that question is, Jesus came to bring you close to God. That's why he came. Jesus came to remove the barriers so that you and I could come close to God. And then he says uh, this in, in, in verse 10. He said, we have confidence to enter the holy place because of Jesus. Now, that, that is, that's crazy because, li listen, uh, what the Jewish people knew of God is that God is powerful and God is holy and God is separate from me. He is distant from me. Every time God revealed himself, there was a separation. Uh, when God revealed himself on Mount Sinai, yeah, there was a, a thick cloud and the lightning and the thunder and, 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 and fire. And, and no one was to approach the mountain unless they died. And so here is God. He's holy. He's powerful. But we can't ever get to him. We can't get close to him. And you go to the temple, and the same thing is in the temple. There are all these courts, and, and you couldn't get very close. So if you, there was a court of women, but you couldn't get past it. couldn't get any closer than that. And then there was a court of men, but you couldn't go past that. There was a court of Gentiles. You couldn't get 
closer than that. There was a quarter of the priests, but they couldn't even get close to God. There was only one man who would one time a year be able to come into God's presence, and that was into the holy place, to the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. There he would offer one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a sacrifice for the people. Only one man, one time a year, could ever get to God. And so when he says we have confidence in, verse, in chapter 10, uh, we have confidence to enter the holy place, you're like, whoa, time out here. Nobody can do that and live, right? Nobody gets close to God. And he said, but when Christ came, he changed all that. And now you and I, just regular people, can come close to God. I mean, this is, this is really radical thinking that you and I, as soiled as we are, as wayward as we are, could come close to God. How is it possible? How is it possible for you and me to come close to Almighty God? How is that feasible? And so he tells us right here in these first couple of verses. Let's just look at it. He gives us a couple of ways. One is, underline it, by the blood of Jesus. See that? By the blood of Jesus. We come, we come to God by the blood of Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian, uh, that may sound really weird for you, but I want to explain it to you so that you understand it, because this is foundational to the Christian faith. In the Old Testament, in the Jewish tradition, the priests would offer up sacrifices, and these sacrifices, they could not take away sin, but they covered the sin of the people. But they did them over and over and over and over and over. The, the Jewish religion is a very bloody religion. Josephus said that, that there were some 200,000 sheep that were slaughtered on, on uh, Passover. I mean, it was a, it was a bloody religion. And, and, and so all these sacrifices were for the covering of sin, but they could never take away sin. Only Jesus was able to take away our sin. In fact, look at it, verse, just back up, you're in chapter 10. Just look up, up to verse 11, and I'll show you what I mean. It says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you get that? What he's saying is this. Yeah, the priest over and over and over doing that, but it could never solve the problem. But here comes Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, who offers himself on the cross. And by that sacrifice, it's enough. There's no more sacrifice, no more need, no more ritual. Nothing else is needed for you to come into God's presence. It is paid in full by the blood of Jesus. So when we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus, what can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what we're singing about. We're singing about what Christ did and, and, and his atoning sacrifice for us that allows us to enter into God's presence. He said, we come by the blood of Jesus. Look at what else he says. Not only that, he says, but also uh, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Holy of Holies, this, this place where God's presence was most revealed, was, was behind a curtain. There was a massive curtain, a thick, big, long, massive curtain that separated God's presence from the people. 
But here's the wonderful thing. When Christ died on the cross, that curtain was torn. There was an earthquake when Christ died, and the, and the earth began to shake, and the and temple began to shake, and this, this curtain, this massive curtain, was ripped from top to bottom. And, and so literally, while Christ's body was torn on the cross, the curtain was torn in the temple. You see that? And, and the purpose for that was that because of the death of Jesus, now there's a way open. Now there's no separation. Now that, now that anybody can come into God's presence, that the curtain is removed, his body torn for us, made a way for us. That's the significance of Jesus' death on the cross for us, that Jesus was making a way when there was no other way. And then look at what else he says. Just one other thing while we're, while we're on a roll here. And he says... Uh, he says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. In other words, uh, the priest would offer up sacrifices, and, and those sacrifices forgave the people. And when Christ died and he rose again, he went right up into the presence of the Father, and he showed himself as the ultimate sacrifice. He is now the ultimate high priest that offers up ultimate forgiveness for anyone who comes to him by faith. So, so this is foundational. He's saying since all this. By the way, those like three verses summarize all the first 10 chapters, all right? All the first 10 chapters. He's like, therefore, that therefore means we've already studied this, guys. You already know this. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment by the blood of Christ. Him is our high priest. His body torn, the veil removed. By Christ, we can come into his presence, Listen, Jesus did what no ritual could ever do. He did what no sacrifice could ever do. He did what no, no, uh, no religious activity could ever do. There's nothing you can do that's going to make you right with God. Nothing. Jesus Christ did it all. So the good news for us is this. You can come close to God. You can personally, you don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a, a, a ritual thing. You don't have to check a lot of boxes on your moral card, whatever. You can come close to God. Jesus has made a way for you to be clean and right and forgiven. You can come close to God. You say, well, that's true. Then why am I feeling so far from God right now? Well, you have to respond, right? Jesus has made the way, but you have to respond to that. So how should I respond to what Christ has done? Therefore, since we have confidence in the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way, by this high priest, therefore, dot, 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 then you need to do something. And he gives us some things to do to draw close to God. Listen, if you feel distant from God right now, if you feel far from God right now, then there's some things you need to do. There's something you need to do. And he lays it out for us. So I'm going to give you a couple of things to write down, okay, to, to just simplify this so you grab a hold of it. All right, so write these few things down. First thing is you need to do. You need to come close. Come close. Look at what he says in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Circle the words draw near. Uh, what, what does that mean? He says, you, because God's made a way, you need to draw near. You need to come close to him. You need to come on. So well, what does that mean? Well, uh, there's a personal meaning and there's a corporate meaning. So let me tell you what the personal one is. Personally, what that means is that you need to come to God. 
You need to come to him and, and confess your need for him. You need to come to him and say, God, I'm far from you. You need to come, come to him and say, God, I need you in my life. You need to come to him and, and be honest about your sin and honest about what you've done and honest about your need. You need to come clean with God. In fact, look at what he says. How do we come near? He could, with a true heart. See that? Some versions say sincere heart. What does your Bible say? A true heart or a sincere heart, verse 22. That means don't come playing games. Don't come just saying the right words or come some, with some ritual thing you've memorized. No, come really with your heart. God knows your heart anyway, right? He already knows if you're, if you're bending toward him. He already knows if you, if you really are seeking him. So come with a sincere heart. I know some people, and they'll, man, they'll pray a prayer on Sunday, but they just turn around and they have no business of ever really following after God. They're not really sincere in their moment of confession. He said, come with a sincere heart. And then he says, uh, come with full assurance of faith. Based on what Christ has done. Listen, we come to Christ by faith, right? We come to Christ depending on what he has done for us. Not on our works, not on our effort. Not Well, my dad was a Baptist priest. Well, that's great. Or, or my, my great-granddad was a deacon. Well, that's awesome. You know? Or I go to church every, well, that's fine. But none of that's going to save you. Absolutely none of it. You come based on the faith and confidence of what Christ has done for you on that cross. That's how salvation happens. And so he said, personally, you draw near by saying, Lord, I need you, and Lord, only Christ can forgive me, and I'm placing all my hope in him. All my eggs are in his basket. All my chips are on him. I'm just placing my trust in Jesus. So the question is, have you done that? I mean, have you been changed because you've had an encounter with Jesus? And if you're going, hmm, I don't know if I've really done that, then it, probably the answer is no. Because if you've met Christ, you would remember, right? You would know it because he would change you radically. So in a personal way, we come close to God that way. But in a corporate way, we come close to God when we gather for worship. The reason why we come together is because we come to worship him. And look at what it says. I just love this. He says, you come to him, drawing close to him, uh, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, the priests would come and they would be sprinkled with some of the blood of the sacrifice and they would have to take this ritual bath and all that kind of thing just in order to get to God's presence. He said, listen, you've already been cleaned by the blood of Christ. You've already been washed clean by his Holy Spirit. And so when we come together, we come and worship him, we're coming and drawing close to God because we've been changed. You may say, well, I don't get why these Christians are all so fired about worship, man. They, they raise their hand and they sing loud and some people are crying and some people kneel. I mean, what, what's that all about, man? It's so weird. No, no. Here's what's happening. He's, these are people that have been changed by Jesus, all right? And they are so thankful for what God has done in their life. They're so overwhelmed with God's grace in their life that they can't help but worship him. They can't help but enter into his presence. They can't help but, but come together and glorify God. They cannot help but draw near to him in worship. Listen, that's why we're doing this night of worship tonight. It's not because we need another thing on the program or another thing on the, on the calendar. We're doing it because we need to come together in God's presence and draw near to him. And maybe, maybe you're feeling distant from God because you're not right with God. Maybe you're feeling distant from God because you haven't been changed by him. Listen, the first step 
to coming close to God is to be honest, to draw near, to come close and come clean with God about what's really going on in your life. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Hold on. First one was uh, come close. Second is hold on. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. I love that. Circle the words hold fast. Hold fast. He was telling, the author was telling these Jewish believers, hey, you need to hold on to Christ. You know, you don't, 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 uh, if you're feeling distant, hold on to him. Now, the reason why I was saying this, this implies endurance, perseverance, not quitting, keep going, hold on, see? And, and the reason why I was telling this is because these Jewish believers were really under it. They were under persecution. Uh, they were being persecuted by the Romans. They were also being persecuted by their own Jewish uh, uh, fellow man who were, were not that happy that they were now following Christ. And so they were really getting squeezed from both sides. And I'm sure they were wondering, is this really worth it? Man, I'm really going through it. Is this really worth it? And he's like, hey, hold on to the hope that you have in Christ. Remember that who you were before Christ, you had no hope. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, without, before you came to Christ, you were without God and without hope in the world. Don't, don't, don't give up your hope. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to the hope that you have of Christ's coming. Hold on to the hope of forgiveness. Hold on to the hope and the promise of God's spirit within you. Hold on to all that God has given you. All that you've grown up with has been pointing to this. Now don't let it go. Grab it, hold on to it, persevere in the hope that you have in Christ. And I love you, he says, hold on to it without wavering. See that in your Bible? Without wavering. The word wavering means to lean, all right? And he said, you're, you're leaning far from God. You need to move forward to him. Don't lean back, press forward. Now li listen to me. Some of you, you go, Craig, I'm just feeling really dry spiritually. I just feel really distant from God. I don't feel like God's answering my prayers. I don't feel like I have a desire for God's word anymore. I'm just really struggling spiritually. Maybe it's because, A, you've not really come clean with God. Or maybe it's because, B, you're leaning far from him, not leaning toward him. You're leaning back into the old way that you used to live. You're leaning back into the old lifestyle that you used to have. You're, you're hanging out with your old buddies or you're going to the old places or you're starting to do some of the old things or, or visiting those old websites or whatever the thing you used to do. That's, you're doing that, but you're not pressing in to Christ. You're not holding on to the hope that you have in Jesus. I had a friend of mine that... Um, told me his story. He basically said, I, I was the kid in my family. I grew up in a Christian home. I was a kid in that family that broke my parents' heart. He said, if they said go right, I went left. If they said go up, I went down. I did everything the opposite of how they raised me. So he said, I was into, as a teenager and on as a young adult, he said, I was into drugs, I was into sex, I was into alcohol, I was into everything that I wasn't supposed to be into. I was running with the wrong crowd. He said, I was into philosophy and I could tell them why they were crazy and why I was brilliant and all this kind of wonderful thing. And he said, I just broke my parents' heart and they prayed for me. He said, I found myself uh, one day and I've taken class after getting out of the military and then he, he was taking a class at college, a philosophy class. Uh, that required some readings out of the Bible to look at Bible's literature kind of thing. And he said, I was in my apartment reading the Bible when I had an encounter with God. 
And he said, in that moment, God spoke to me out of his word. And the next thing I knew, I was on my face with my nose in the carpet, crying out to God, asking him to forgive me. He said, I can't explain it other than God just met me, just reading the word. And he said, I had a dramatic conversion to Christ. And I told my parents that they were so happy. I told my friends, you know, my, my believing friends, my sisters, and they were so happy. He said, but over the next couple of months, I found myself kind of leaning back into some of the old ways I used to live. I, I kind of started going back to my old pals and kind of doing my own thing. But then I would feel distant from God and like that heart for God, that love for God was waning. And then I would feel very convicted. And he said, then I would kind of pick up my Bible again. I'd start reading again and God would renew my strength and uh, my heart for him. And then I would start leaning back again and I would lose it and I would come back to his word and, I, and God would stir it up again. And he said, I finally came to a point where I didn't want to lean back anymore. I just wanted to hold on to what I had. And he said, it was that point that I began to grow spiritually and God began to give me new friends and a new desire. And, and I began to go to a church and start being fed the word. And he said, I began to grow I ended up going to a Christian college and I married a Christian girl. He said God actually called him into ministry and he'd been pastoring now for many, many years. Almost about to retire now. But listen, maybe the reason why you're struggling is because you're not right with God. Maybe it's because you've just been leaning the other direction. Listen, hold on. Hold on to the truth that you have. Hold on to the hope that you have in Christ. Don't, don't lean back. Move forward. Uh, don't go back. Go forward. Because God's blessing is ahead of you and God's goodness is ahead of you and Christ died for you. And here's the last thing. Uh, jot this down. Uh, come close. Uh, hold on. Here, here's the last one. Uh, love deep. Look at verse uh, 24. Love deep. Uh, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Circle the words love and good works. Come close if you're feeling distant. Uh, hold on uh, if you're feeling distant. Love deep if you're feeling distant. In other words, he's, God, God called you to a family to be a part of. This family. And if you're feeling distant, maybe it's because you're not... Uh, being a part of the family that God's given you. You know, I, I was talking with a pastor this week from the Ivory Coast, West Africa. And he has a very thick West African accent. And uh, so I'm from West Texas, which is very different. So I have to really listen to make out what he's saying. Uh, but, I, but I made it out. We were talking about some things. And he said, he said you know what I've discovered about American Christians? He said, American Christians think everything is about them. He said, it's, very, it's a very individualistic faith. It's about what I think and I believe and I feel. He said, but, but what they don't understand is that the call to Christ is a call to a community. That it's, it's, yeah, I mean, every person stands before God alone, but yet God's called us to a family. And he's exactly right. He is spot on. That, listen, we're called to a community. And so here's what he's saying. Hey, don't give up meeting together because we need one another. 
I mean, there were people back then that they, they get this, they actually stopped coming to worship together. They stopped meeting in groups together. They stopped praying together. They stopped serving one another. They were too busy uh, with, with other things uh, to be bothered by these things. And all of a sudden they were beginning to fade away. And he was like, hey, hey, stop that. Move toward your family. Listen, some of you, maybe the reason why you're dry spiritually is, is you're not pressing in. You're not embracing this family. Listen, when we come together, it's far more than just hearing a great sermon. Amen? Sermon doing okay so far? All right. It's more than that. You, know, you can get that online. All right? It's more than having great worship or a great band or a great facility. It's much more than that. When we come together, we come. Listen to what he says. Don't give up meeting together. It's some of the habit of doing, but, but encourage one another. There's the word. The word literally means to come alongside another person. The reason why we gather is so that we can encourage each other. Literally to spur one another. You ever, you ever seen spurs? Right? Ugh, spurs. We spur one another on. We challenge one another. We, we encourage one another to do what? To love each other and to love God and to make the right choices and invest our life and to worship and to pray and to share our faith. The reason why I harp on you about getting in a group is because you need that. The reason why I harp on you that you need to invest your life in someone else is because you need that. And the reason why we gather is because you can be encouraged and challenged to grow in your walk with God and come together. And that's why we do it. He said, yeah, you got to come close to God. You got to hold on, but you also got to love your brother and your sister. Maybe the reason why you're so distant from God is you're, you're doing this all on your own. You're all alone in your world, and you come on a weekend, but you're not doing life with other believers. Listen, we need each other. And he said, we need this all the more as you see, look at what he says, as you see the day approaching. See that? Verse 25, that word day is capitalized. That means a specific day. That is the day of reckoning. That is the day of God's judgment. That is called the day of the Lord. The Old Testament puts it. The day of Christ's return. And that day is a terrifying day if you don't know Christ. But it is a glorious day if you do know him. You long for that day. For Christ to come and to take us with him. And it's sooner than you think. It's coming. So listen, we don't have time to be spending our life far from God. When Christ has made a way, he's opened it up through his body, through his sacrifice. He's thrown open the doors for you to come into God's presence. But you've got to make your decision to come close. You have to make the choice to hold on to the hope that you have and not lean back from it but press in. You have to make the decision to embrace this family and to love deep. And here's what I know. When you do those things, you will feel his face toward you. You will feel his nearness and his presence.